What a world we're living in, isn't it? An amazing, amazing time, brethren, that we're living in today. Just this week, many of you saw a car run down people in New York City, down right off the sidewalk, throwing them hither and yon, just like so much roadkill. In addition, we saw again or heard, and I didn't see a lot of news on it, about another accident similar around the same time that happened over in New Jersey. Didn't hear a lot of detail about that one. And here again recently, an Egyptian gentleman rushed on an airplane on his way to Hawaii, the cockpit of one of these airlines attempting to get in for whatever reason, and just previous to that, I understand, was actually arrested on the airport property for trespassing, but then was released, boarded that plane, and then proceeded to do what he did. Amazing. Just amazing in terms of the world and day and age that we're living in. And I don't need to remind all of us about all of the saber-rattling going on around the world on the geopolitical landscape. Rockets, missiles being tested based on distance and height, velocity and speed from North Korea trying to make determinations on what they can do in terms of the continued development of their delivery systems for what they are attempting to try to accomplish in the way of nuclear uh, weapons of mass destruction compounded that with Iran and their continued and relentless pursuit for weapons of mass destruction and nuclear-grade plutonium that they're attempting to try to develop and then put it into the formation of a bomb and then, of course, the continued development of a delivery system. Because remember, just having a bomb is one thing. You have to have a delivery system as well. A bomb without a delivery system is like a bullet without a gun. You can have all the bullets you want, but if you don't have a gun... It really won't uh, do you a whole lot of good unless you're uh, determined or deciding to blow yourself up. (laughs) But that's another thing, another uh, uh, thought, certainly. But the fact of it is, these are some really strange times. And I think, if you're like me, pose the consideration, plausible consideration, that frankly, Anything could happen at any time by anybody because the fact of it is it's not limited to countries anymore. As I've said before, I'll say it again. You can have any kind of a knucklehead running around loosey-goosey who's just not really wrapped real tight and do something that could set off a worldwide calamity and initiate and trigger Who knows what kind of misunderstanding and or confusion that could ramp up into some kind of a global escalated fight all under a misconception and mistake. So we live in some very, very strange times and certainly some very intense times. So I wanted to take some time today to just kind of review a little bit of these, what I want to call, prophetic times. They are prophetic times. We are in the midst of prophecy every day. We are part of history in the making. Every day we make history in our own ways. You're making history in your own life by virtue of the activity you involve yourself with. You're building your legacy, your historical mark in the network of friends that you have. So I wanted to take some time 
because we are all part of this greater, grander scheme, plan that we're a part of by the living God. And like it or not, we're all participants in it. Whether we like it or not, we're here. And there's really no choice in that respect. And so I want to take some time in light of biblical prophecy to review some of these prophetic times that we have. And I think it does do us uh, some good and merits our attention, especially in light of some of these things that are happening around us, namely a very big event that right now is beginning to build some momentum uniquely enough. And frankly, you would never think in your wildest dreams that a populist movement, a sense of nationalism for some countries, would begin to build some momentum and gain and garner interest. Of all things, you have the United Kingdom deciding to break off of the European Union. Many of us who were well ensconced and embedded in prophetic scenarios, frankly, weren't surprised, I don't think. I wasn't surprised in seeing the United Kingdom break off or make an attempt to detach and cut the tether of the European Union. And now, not only are they doing that, but here in the United States, we have, of all things, Donald J. Trump elected President of the United States, surprising the shoe-in, expected one, Miss Hillary Clinton, taking totally the media and, of course, that side of the aisle, total surprise, completely flabbergasted and shocked. How could this happen? They took care of Bernie. They rigged that. He was out. We all know that. These are facts. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not speaking from a Republican point of view. I'm just stating facts, things that have been now been disclosed. And guess what? We have a president of the United States that represented what some call the populist side of the movement going on in the United States. What, what is populism? Before I go on, let me, let me just describe and, and explain and define. Populism is essentially where the little guy, the common Joe, the six-pack guy, you know, the bud guy, bud light, you know, those guys, the blue-collar workers, they get a voice, and all of a sudden the silent majority has a leader that they can say, he's my mouthpiece, he says what I feel, he says what I think, and consequently, he's my man, you know. And so the, the definition goes that the little guy is able now to get, uh, uh, gather or garner a voice whereby he has some influence against what he believes to be or allegedly felt was being abused by the elitists or those in control, uh, the oligarchs, whoever and wherever they may be. The point of it is the little guy now has his voice. Well, these are things that are happening around us. We're beginning to see this. Not only are we beginning to see this, and you know it as well as I do, France here just recently dodged a major bullet, did they not? France dodged a major bullet. Just about a week ago, they had their presidential elections, and this guy, Emmanuel Macron, I think it was, beat Marie Le Pen. Marie Le Pen was the populist favorite of the French people, and they were hopeful she would get in, and in so doing, she had already been on record stating, 
If she gets in, one of the first things she was going to do was submit for a referendum to get France to leave the European Union, to get France to leave the European Union. Well, needless to say, that bullet was dodged, and France right now has what would be viewed certainly as a established progressive socialist of sort, a, a, a globalist uh, of type that uh, is now going to be ensconced as their, as their president, and a 39-year-old uh, gentleman named, as I say, Emmanuel uh, Macron, I think his name is. But that doesn't erase the risk of Italy, Slovakia, Sweden, Greece, all seriously considering the possibility of leaving the European Union. This is a major hit for the globalists to take on the chin. And I don't know how many of you recognize how major this is, but it is quite a setback for many of the globalists who have invested so many years, so much time, so much money doing whatever they do in order to forge this concept of a one-world order. And never did I ever think I'd be speaking like that from the lectern here 20 years ago. But the fact of it is, brethren, with what we're beginning to see and what we've been exposed to through disclosures that we shouldn't have had opportunity to read because much of it was classified information, but of which now is being hacked off computers and provided to people like WikiLeaks, this guy named Snowden, and as I've said before, a transgender, I think it was Bradley Manning, who now goes by the name, a.k.a. Chelsea Manning. And like it or not, regardless of what you may think of these people, the fact of it is the content of what they're disclosing cannot be disputed because they're not making it up. They're just receiving information from the individuals who are saying what they're saying and showing what's being done. And unfortunately, in many cases, the light that is being shown is not very welcoming and certainly not very uh, complimentary to, especially in some cases, with uh, what we've seen uh, regarding the United States and how some of the stuff that now is made aware or we're being made aware of uh, now uh, being understood to be true. Years ago, some of this stuff, you know, well, they're listening to you on the telephone. Well, that, that was conspiracy stuff, you know. They could listen to you on, through your Samsung television. Well, that, that's conspiracy stuff. They can't do that, can they? Yeah, they can. Welcome to the party. I'm smelling the coffee. My wife comically now has put a little smiley face over the camera on our computer. <laughs> So if the government decides to hack in, uh, they can't see her face. <laughs> they can still hear her clicking away, but at least they can't see her face. Do you believe I'm talking like this? And these are facts. These are not any longer conspiratorial jargon. I'm here to tell you I've been on the watch list three times, on and off, three times. The first time I got on, I was in shock. I went to the kiosk to get my airplane tickets, and it came up. I couldn't get them. So I walked up to the, to the uh, uh, desk there, and I asked the American Airlines. That was the airlines I was trying to get on. Not that this is any disparagement on them, but I was trying to get the ticket from American Airlines to, get a, to fly on my trip. And she says, oh, you're on the watch list. I said, the watch list? What in the world's a watch list? This is the first time I was introduced to it. And she said, oh, yeah, you're on the watch list. So she had to do some things on the computer, go through some checks, 
and crosses and balances and whatever, and then I was able to get my airplane ticket. I asked her, I said, well, can I get off the watch list? She says, don't even try. By the time you get off, you'll be dead. I said, really? She said, yeah. Then, lo and behold, about nine months later, I go to the kiosk just for giggles, and I get my ticket. I'm off. And then I had to laugh because Margie and I were flying together, and guess what? She's on it, and I'm on it. We're both on it again. So then we couldn't get our tickets, so we walked back up to the, 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 the desk, asked for our tickets, and the lady, the lady says, oh, and we're standing there, and all the people are in the back, and she says, oh, you're on the watch list. George, they're on the watch list. And everybody in line's like, like, who are these people, you know? And Margie and I are like, you know. But the fact of it is, I'm not on it now, but I kind of understand perhaps how I was on it because during the course of those years, maybe they know me now, I don't know, but during the course of those years, Margie would be going to the Department of Defense websites to give pictures of army tanks and uh, terrorists and all kinds of things for the Armor of God program. And we would use them for roll-ins. And I would be on the telephone talking to our producer, and I'd be saying, no, I need some more pictures of homosexuals and parades and uh, this and that and all this, you know, because we were doing the Armor of God production. And so I'm sure we were tagged, <laughs> without a doubt, <laughs> with no, with no uh, heartache involved uh, from them, I'm sure. But the bottom line is, the fact I stand here mentioning this only to illustrate a point, it's real. They can listen to you on your telephone. I, I, I fondly and, and affectionately kid people nowadays and say, turn off your telephones so that the government can continue to listen on us. Because the fact of it is, they can listen to you whether or not it's on or not. If you go on the lamb or on the run, as they say, you better throw away your telephone and all the rest of the things that you've got that's electronic because uh, it will tell you uh, where they are. So what, what is really probably most disturbing about some of this stuff is that it has disclosed also the United States of America has been involved in some very nefarious activity. And the intelligence community, FBI and CIA, are certainly illustrated to be somewhat out of control. And this goes right to the fact of the cohesion of a society, and in our case, the birthrighted nations of Israel, to the trust factor on whether or not we will lose trust in our leaders and the cohesion that keeps our society from anarchy and chaos. Because once you lose trust, brethren, in your leadership, you don't have a whole lot left to lean on from the standpoint of getting things done. And it has revealed the United States has been involved in a lot of espionage, a lot of subversion, extortion, shadow government, has even been involved in influencing, that's right, the United States, fact, influencing the elections, the United States influencing the elections of other nations, namely Israel. Fact, our country, the United States of America, the land of allegedly law and order, liberty and freedom, the one who is supposed to stand up for right and wrong, the world's policeman, the balance of power to provide the prevention of the times of the Gentiles where if indeed that would take over the world because U.S. is out and those that balance the power in other areas away from the negative would be removed are now part 
And that's what it seems to a certain extent, lesser degrees, but nevertheless involved. Fact, I'm not making it up. I wish I was. But these are disclosures now, and they're yet to be even more so revealed. Admittedly, we're living in some very dangerous times, very dangerous times, very volatile times, very volatile times. We're in the midst right now, like it or not, of a major cultural war. Things are manifested today in the press and in the media. Lines are being drawn more than ever before. Sites and manifestations of what is considered to be progressive and what is considered to be conservative is now more recognizable, these lines of demarcation, than ever before in the history, at least in my short life, of the United States of America. And guess what? In this cultural war, some of these lines of differences are no longer afraid to be known. Google it. George Soros. Google it. Look at what that man, billionaire, packs, supports. Moveon.org. Google it. Black Lives Matter. Open Society Foundation, Media Matters, the ACLU, Human Rights Watch, Alliance for Justice, America's Voice. I could go on and on and on. The list is outrageously long. And now even the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, has his own organization that he started in 2012 as an outgrowth of his election of 2012 called the Organization for Action, OFA. Never in the history of the United States, a former president of the United States is actually now attempting to go against the incumbent administration to work contrarian. Google it, OFA. Read its mission statements and understand who is financing it. Follow the money. That's what Hamilton said, our forefather. Follow the money, and you'll know where a lot of this is coming from. What am I talking about? I'm just simply saying, brethren, we're in a reality that has never in the history of our short-lived country, modern-day Israel, Manasseh, the United States, experienced ever. And we are in a cultural war. And it stands to reason that, guess what? It is indeed going to move ahead, and it is going to cause a lot more trouble as we go forward. Because guess what? The globalists are not going to quit. The globalists, I, I'm not talking Republicans and Democrats anymore. I've, I've given that up. I'm talking about globalists and nationalists. I'm talking about sovereign state believers, people that believe in countries with borders versus people who believe in countries without borders. And we are in a mess in that regard, a tug of war ever since, and you know it as well as I do, World War I. We could make the case. There has been a very strong effort to centralize power 
in the world, the United Nations, the European Union. Much of time, resources, and sacrifice all have been attempting to try to make that happen. And there is a con constant movement toward this one world order. And frankly, to see this resurgence of nationalism, populism, it's, it's, it's surprising. It's amazing. And one can't help but to think that there's a providential anomaly happening here. So how does all this connect up with prophecy? I want to turn your attention over here to Revelation chapter 3 for a moment. 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13. We don't know, and I, we're all aware of this, of the ETA of Jesus Christ. We don't know. But we do know this. And the short answer to how all this works within prophecy is that we are en route. We are on the, what you could say, right path. We're on track to go to the destination that we are going to. Your Bible makes it clear. There is a destination. And the European Union is not that destination yet. Yet. But there are some things about where we're going that are written in your book, primarily by the prophet Daniel and John, who do, in fact, tell us and give us good indication of what we can expect and where we're going. Here in verse 3 of chapter 13, the book of Revelation, I want to start here just to illustrate to, to all of us that we are en route to see something that is going to be so powerful that it is going to consume and control the world. Here in verse 3 it says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world, notice that, all the world, I want to park your mind there, just let that resonate, all the world wondered after the beast. That's the context here, talking about in picturesque form, in thumbnail sketching, so that we will comprehend this beast and what it represents. The topic is, it will have a wounded, uh, a wound that will be healed, and it will have an effect on all the world. And they worship, verse 4, the dragon, which we understand to be Satan the devil, which gave power to the beast. They worshiped the beast, saying, it's going to be so powerful, the people that are going to be under the control of this government are going to say this, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with the beast? Keep your fingers in Revelation. Follow me over here to Daniel real quick. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. Keep your finger in Revelation. We're going to go right back there for the sake of time because we have a lot of scriptures here I want to cover. Uh, I want to keep your finger there in Revelation so you can just flip back. Verse 23, Daniel 7, we read this. Thus says the fourth beast. Uh, thus, said, thus he said, that is, uh, the fourth beast, talking, uh, Daniel's explaining here the interpretation of the fourth beast, which commenced in verse 19. I won't go there right now. I'm just in verse 23. He states this about that fourth kingdom that comes up after the uh, three previous. Verse 23, Daniel 7 states this. Thus he said, the fourth beast 
shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be different, that's what the word diverse means, different from all kingdoms, and shall devour, look at this now, the whole earth. Keep your finger there. Go back to Revelation 13. What does it say? Verse 3, was healed, and all the world wondered. Daniel talking about 500 years before John writing. Same page, same story, same theme, five to 600 years apart. We need to get this stuff, brethren, so that we do not get caught up in a lot of hyperbole from the noise of other religious communities claiming we're in certain areas within the prophetic timeline when we're not. This thing that's coming will be like nothing the world has seen. Notice this in Daniel, uh, or, oh, I'm sorry, Revelation 18. Go back to Revelation now 18. And I understand Revelation 18 is the description of the demise of the beast. It is the description of the destruction of this world empire that we just read about in Daniel 7, 23, and in Revelation 13, verses 3 and 4. But here, Revelation 18, in the, demise, in the description of the demise of this monstrous, gargantuan, world-influencing system, we're able to read between the lines as to just how big, great, and powerful it did become. Notice this, reading between the lines here in Revelation 18, verse 3. For all nations, here it is again, have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's just a figurative word talking about religious, religious and uh, uh, political interaction, interplay, intercourse with each other, trade and so forth. It's figures of speech, but nevertheless gets the point across. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Notice this, dropping down now to uh, verse 9, for the sake of time, and the kings of the earth who've committed fornication lived deliciously with her, shall bewail and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. They're going to be sad. The world is actually going to mourn the downfall and destruction of this system. Why? Because they were so well benefited by it. It was the world's benefactor. It provided all kinds of wealth, riches, and certain conveniences that the world was enjoying. And now they're seeing the very hand that's feeding them being taken down. Verse 10, look at this. Verse 10, chapter 18, book of Revelation, standing afar off uh, for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour the judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth, they are going to weep and mourn over her, for no man buys the merchandise anymore. And look at the merchandise. Twelve, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet, um, thine wood, vessels of ivory, all of this Wealth, wood and brass and iron and marbles. Verse 15, for the sake of time, drop down. Merchants of these things, all these riches, all this wealth, which were made rich by her, they shall stand afar off. Again, a reiteration by John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit states again for about the third time in the same chapter, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be despondent. They're going to be sad and disappointed that this system is coming down. 
And it does indeed come down, as pointed out here in verse 20, where it says, Rejoice over her, you heavens, or you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And as we understand the destiny of this system, ultimately, and I'll explain this in a moment, this socialistic coalition, and that's what it is, you'll see it described right in your Bible as that uh, very thing, actually ends up fighting Jesus Christ upon his return. But the fact of it is, in all of this, brethren, this beast, uh, as we can see, is going to be a very powerful, a very world-influencing and affecting system. The European Union is on the verge of bankruptcy. Nations are considering on leaving it. Why? Because they want to print their own money. They got to go with hat in hand to get the ECB, the European Central Bank, basically to print money to provide them the quantitative easing that they want. And guess what the ECB is doing? They're saying, no. Germany's mad. Germany's carrying all the weight on its back. Merkel is pulling her hair out. As a matter of fact, Germany and the people in Germany are also so upset right now that there is a risk that Merkel may not even be reelected. She's sweating bullets as I stand here, thinking that in October, when their presidency is going to come up for reelection, she may not get reelected. That's another whole story. Can you imagine Germany <laughs> pulling out of the EU? Bye-bye. The globalists are not going to take this sitting down. The European Union was their epicenter for a one-world order for all intents and purposes. I can't even think, I, I can't even believe I'm talking like this, but I am. The fact of it is, it was the epicenter, brethren, of their effort to create a global community. You know how Ms. Clinton wrote her book, It Takes a Village. What was that all about? It was about a world without borders. It was about a mismatch of all ethnicities just mixing, blending, amalgamating so that we're just one big, happy human race. John Lennon's song, Imagine. Listen to the words. That's their theme. And the reality of it is, those who come now on the scene claiming, no, 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 we got to put up a wall. <laughs> we got to define our borders. The United Kingdom saying, no, 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 we don't want any more of that. We want our sovereign right. Ah, sovereign right. Sovereign? The word sovereign shouldn't be in the dictionary anymore for some of the globalists, the way they think, you see. But yet, nevertheless, it is indeed something that is going to be coming because guess what? Nationalism does lose. Populism loses. Globalism ultimately for the time, at least described here at its point, becomes the winner if you can consider this winning. Ultimately, they lose, the good guys win, and God's kingdom is established. But the reality of it is, for a time, they, the globalists, are going to have their way with the world. Notice this 
Back to Revelation 13. I purposely didn't read verse 1 and 2. Revelation 13, I'm going to go back now to read verse 1 and 2. God, through the Apostle John, using figures of speech, connects up a DNA profile of this political system, of this ideological format. He says here, verse 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast, figure of speech, rising out of the sea, figure of speech. It is a world power rising out of the multitudes of people, the sea. You'll see that in a moment and how these symbolisms are actually connected to authentic, intrinsic things. The Bible interpreted itself. Again, I'm not making this stuff up. You'll see it in a minute. But let me just read this as it is. Having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This is a blasphemous thing. No matter how great and powerful it looks, don't be a part of it. As a matter of fact, God is as serious as a heart attack about the fact that if you're alive in the generation when this mark becomes something of a demand and mandate that you have to have to become a citizen or a sociocrat of that system, do not take it suffer the consequences as our forefathers did under the hands of the Jesuits, under the hands of the Franciscans. You take what is dished out or run. <laughs> run. And stay running as much as you can if that be uh, available to you. But the point of it is, because Jesus, remember in Matthew 24, he says, guess what? If you're in Jerusalem, get out of there. You know, hightail it out. Get out of Dodge. <laughs> Don't stay around for the rest of the story. He says here, look at this now. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. And he goes on, he's got a feet like a bear. He goes on, he says, he's got a mouth like a lion. And the dragon gives him power and his seat and great authority. And then we read already verses uh, 3 and 4. Now, go back with me. Keep your finger over there in 13. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Once again, chapter 7. Notice this. Notice the correlation the connection of this. I'm going to give you a real short thumbnail sketch of Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. He takes you, that is, Daniel takes you through the historical record prior to their actual manifestations of these kingdoms. Nevertheless, he, being alive as a captive in Babylon, here states in verses 1 through about 8, the description of, notice this, verse 4, a lion. Verse 5, notice this, a bear. Verse 6, notice that, a leopard. Now go back to Revelation, verse 2, here's the DNA. Same thing. He does it in reverse, leopard, bear, lion. In Daniel, it's lion, bear, leopard. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, it, it's, you know, whether it's one, two, and one, or two, one, and one, or one, one, and two, it's all four. <laughs> it's all four. So it doesn't matter in terms of that. Point being, in this case, when you go back to Daniel and you understand who the lion is, who the bear is, who the leopard is, and we can't understand it. I don't have the time to go through it. I will assume that you've done this before and understand the bear is the Medes or the lion is Babylon, the bear is the Medes, and the leopard is the Greco-Macedonians. And the four heads of the leopard are 
Alexander, General, Alexander the Great, his four generals, of which morphed ultimately with the king of the south and the king of the north. These are patterns, brethren. Understand the patterns, because guess what? The king of the north and the king of the south come back, Daniel 11. I'm not going to go there. That's not part of this presentation today. But the reality of it is, at the end of the day, uh, days, at the latter time, Again, the patterns repeated as it was when the Ptolemies fought the Seleucids. Seleucids were the king of the north. They represented Syria. And, of course, you may know Ptolemy, king of the south, representing Egypt. The Seleucids beat the daylights out of the Ptolemies and morphed them into Rome. And that became the ugly animal, as Daniel points out, one that's even worse and stamps out everything. He's made of all kinds of ugliness, Rome was. And for that uh, being said here, uh, you can read through it here as he goes into verse 7 and verse 8. But here's the point in all of this. The DNA that is described there in Revelation chapter 13, 1 and 2, we understand is a combination, mixture of a Greco-Babylonian-Roman empire. That's the DNA from Daniel laying down the foundation and John reconfirming and substantiating Daniel's statement. And as you begin to recognize these beasts for what they are and what they attach to, you can begin to understand what we're up against down the road, coming at us like a freight train with a headlight on. And in that regard, we understand that the king of the north is indeed a individual that will take on this very, what you could say, beast, this fourth beast's profile. We uh, begin to see in Daniel 7 here, dropping down to verse 17, uh, we read these great beasts, which are four, look at this, the Bible's interpreting itself, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. That's what your Bible says. And we understand Babylon was the lion, the bear was the Medes, and the leopard was the Greco-Macedonians. The four heads were Alexander's four generals that took his kingdom after he died. And then, of course, as I said, morphed into ultimately Rome as those four guys uh, vetted through their differences. But the saints, verse 18, Daniel 7, verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's the good news. That's the short story of this. Guess what? The good guys win. I, I love saying that because God's people, we, ultimately will take over the world and be headquartered in the Middle East, Israel, landing on the Mount of Olives with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and setting up world rule from Jerusalem, capital city of planet Earth. That is the ultimate end. However, before we get there, there's a lot of, let me use the word, tribulation in between. He says here in verse 19, I would like you to know, though, he says here, the truth of the fourth beast. So now after he says 17 and 18 summary statements, he says, let, let me reiterate something. And he's going to give us some detail about the fourth beast. Watch this. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, teeth were of iron, nails of brass, devoured, broken pieces, stamped the residue of his feet. And we understand this thing is going to take the world by storm. 
He goes on. The ten horns that were in the head of the others which came up and before three fell, even of the horn that had eyes and of the mouth and spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. This is prior to the return of Christ because we understand Jesus prevails ultimately. This is describing the saints don't prevail. They fall victims. Christian martyrdom, Christian persecution again. Christians will be viewed as outlaws again. What goes around comes around. History shall repeat itself. And as it was in the days of old when Rome attempted to try to squash out that apostolic church with all those original teachings because it was contrarian to the influences of the Hellenistic Plato and Socrates and Aristotle teachings of all that, they attempted to destroy and stamp out that apostolic church. And they did it with swords, they did it with burning, they did it with acquiring, that is, land and property and became a very rich state to where today it's one of the richest countries in the world, though it's the smallest the Vatican, <laughs> the Catholic Church, the smallest nation in the world, one of the most wealthiest. How did it get all that wealth? By stealing it from many, many people over those centuries. At any rate, verse 22, this prevailing against the saints, verse 22 is going to occur, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days comes. From the time this thing institutes itself, when it gets power, seats itself comfortably in saddle and begins to persecute the saints, that persecution will continue until the return of Jesus Christ and he stamps this thing out. And that's described, I don't have the time, in the fifth seal. We'll get to that in a minute. He goes on here and he says, thus... Until the angel, verse 22, until the ancient days came, judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down, break it in pieces, devour the whole earth. I want to reemphasize that, the whole earth. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. Oh. The ten horns are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. This three kings, three fell, verse 20. There were three ribs, verse 5. This word three comes up. Over and over and over. I don't know what it means. I have no idea. But I do know this. If we're profiling a serial killer, which this beast will be, and we put all these little dots on the board and attempt to try to connect lines to all these dots, we've got to put them all up there. Will there be three signals to the population of the world before this beast really seats itself in? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. Three kings fall before this thing really takes on its course. 
I do know this. It says it twice in verse uh, 20 there too as well in uh, Daniel 7 about the three that fall. Are they inclusive or exclusive? I don't know. Do they represent World War I and World War II and the third one is World War III and then this thing comes up? I don't know that either. I've got my own ideas, but that'll get you a cup of coffee and a donut. So I'm not going to say that. It's not my job up here to influence you to think like me. I'm just presenting facts. And I want you to understand the European Union is not this. And it's time we begin to understand that. That thing may go down in a flame. It may break apart like just so much mist. And if it does, don't get disillusioned. We are on track. We are on track. We are on track. Over here, Revelation chapter 17. Notice this, Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. Here's a mind which has wisdom. The seven heads, verse 9. Here it is. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And we understand the relationship between the seven hills of Rome certainly does uh, provide a very curious and interesting uh, bit of correlation there. He goes on. There are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is. The other is yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. I'm not going to take time on that right now because I want to make a point here. Verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, he's of the eighth and is of the seven. This dictator, this tyrant, is of the DNA of this Greco-Babylonian Romish system. He is coming up out of this. He's associated with it. He's connected to it. He's the eighth and is out from the seven. And he goes on here, and he says, in this particular case, he goes on, uh, and goes into perdition, because he will. Notice the description of verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. That correlates with what we just read in Daniel 7, does it not? It certainly does, right to the letter. Which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings, one hour with the beast, a very short time. These, that is the ten kings, have one mind, will give their power and strength. They're going to coalesce with the beast. They're going to concede their wealth. They're going to concede everything that they've got, all their assets. They're going to provide it to and give it to to substantiate, support, and reinforce the beast. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. These have one mind, shall give their power and strength to the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome uh, them. For he is the Lord of lords, king of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. What is going on here? Where does this put us? It really does put us, brethren, in a spot where today we can see there are some major obstacles preventing this from happening. Players aren't even identified yet. We've got some general DNA that we can identify with, for instance, I know where Rome was. I know the footprint. The footprint is where the European Union is. That's interesting. So if the European Union is not what this thing is, could the European Union grow into that? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. It could perhaps happen. I do know this. Whatever will come up, if the king of the north and the king of the south pattern is uh, hit again, is repeated again, it's going to be in that location. There's going to be a footprint, footprint wrapping around the Mediterranean Sea. 
and that king of the north is going to get pushed at by the king of the south. And if the king of the south, the pattern was of old, Egypt, then I'm still looking for perhaps an Arab Islamic, don't know yet, but I'm just saying, force that's going to aggravate this Greco-Babylonian Romish system. Am I about ready to abandon that concept? No, not me. Not yet. Not based on this. I'm not being hard-headed. I'm just saying that seems to be the glue right here. And there's really no reason to begin to, to doubt these things, especially in light of the fact that we see that what is happening, basically, is the globalists are declaring war on the populists. That's what's happening right now. You've got globalists, one-world order minds, billionaires, bankers, countries, all looking at what's happening in terms of what they view as a populist movement and or nationalism rising as a threat to their globalist ideas. Again, I can't believe I'm talking like this, but I am. Why? Because that's what we're seeing manifested today in front of us. Truth of it is, the Republicans and the Democrats are on the same side. Let's face it. They're all the same. They just wear different clothes. They have different techniques and tactics about going the same. So forget politics. This isn't about politics. This is about the Word of God and what we're seeing here. And what we're seeing, brethren, is something that's going to at least seem to imply a shakeup is coming. Over here in Revelation chapter 6, I just want to pose this for your consideration. I'm not here to try to persuade or convince you. I just want to pose it in light of all that we see here. And if I can lean on some of your knowledge about prophecies pertaining to the correction of the birthrighted nations of the world that carry the name Israel in the latter days and what those prophecies portend, which I haven't even covered, and they're there. I don't have to make them up. You, you can read them. Jeremiah 30, 31. You can read them in Micah. These chapters. If indeed that is in the future too, then perhaps what we might see yet, and Jesus isn't going to return yet, is indeed the erasing of the balance of powers of the U.S. and the United Kingdom and, of course, the country that stands for borders, upon borders, the Jews. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but in the latter days, it is definitively stated. Israel is going to be reoccupied. Israel is going to be invaded. That's the message that needs to be given to Benjamin Netanyahu. Not what Mr. Nagy uh, gives. John, what is it? Hagee. That's him. Yeah, not Nagy. Hagee. John Hagee gives. The message really does need to warn Israel that they're going to be invaded. Again, that's what your prophets say and are going to be put into captivity. Well, how does all that fit in? Well, over here, Revelation 6. Look at this. Revelation 6. These are the four seals, not the trumpets, fourth seal, four seals. These are not the trumpets. 
early on, we've got false prophets, we've got war, and we've got a black horse in uh, verse 5, third seal, that talks about balances and, and uh, measures of barley and pennies and so on, famines and pestilence. But then verse 7, you have a fourth seal. And I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see, I'm going to look and behold a pale horse, and the name of him was Death and Hell. Hell meaning Hades means the grave, means the grave. Where you've got death, dead bodies, you've got graves. That's a very simple equation. So the pale horse is a harbinger of very bad news for planet Earth because look at this. Death and hell followed him. Power was given, this is verse 8, power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword, hunger, death, and with the beasts of the earth. Now, I read over that fast, but in that dialogue, in that narrative, talks about 25% of mankind being destroyed. That's a war. If you break out Revelation, we know that Revelation is broken out into three sets of seven, the seals, the trumpets, the vials. But there's also four wars in Revelation, four major wars still up ahead of us, big wars, big ones. This is war number one, by the way. There's two more listed in Revelation 9, and then, of course, we all know about Armageddon. That's the fourth one. So if we want to really look at it, there's three major wars. We know Armageddon is all about. But there are three major wars coming up. They're described right here as one, and you can read the other two in Revelation 9, where one-third of the remaining three-fourths is destroyed, part of that. And then also there's a war that's coming where man will look for death, and he can't. Some kind of, uh, I don't know, who knows, chemical warfare, I, I don't know. Bottom line is in this, brethren, is that we're looking at, at today's numbers, if you have 7 billion people, you're looking at 25% of 7 billion is about 1.75 billion. That's with a B. World War II's devastation was about 70 million, if you really stretch the numbers. 70 million died in World War II. We're talking 1.75 billion. That's 25 times the death toll of World War II. The times are upon us. They really are. We tend to get focused in the fact that, well, because the European Union, the beast isn't rising, we're all okay. No, no, we're not. Something is coming at us. I don't know when. But I do know this. There's a lot of dots on the board that profiles this serial killer called the beast that we haven't really connected real clearly because we've been looking for a nice, smooth, diplomatic development of this beast that's going to come on the world to take power. And what we're seeing in reality is nothing like that. Somehow, we got to get from where we're at to here. Now, what could change that, and that's what I'd like to leave all of us with, is that we could all repent and accept Jesus Christ and start modeling ourselves after him. And if we haven't done that, now's a good time to do that. Now's a real good time to do that, to make these decisions, to get urgent on yourself. Because what's coming could come upon us very fast. I don't know where you were when the United States invaded Iraq or where you were when the United States invaded Kuwait. But I remember I was sleeping in a hotel on sales calls when I had my water treatment company. And I was on the road. And I woke up to George Bush Sr. invading Kuwait in Desert Storm back in 1991. And I woke up to the headlines that the United States had invaded Kuwait. 
I remember I was on sales calls heading down to West Virginia when my daughter called me in my car at 9 o'clock in the morning telling me that two airplanes just ran into the trade towers. Just like that and that I just had driven by not more than 50 miles away where that plane went down in Pennsylvania because I was heading down 79 to West Virginia that morning on a sales call to Morgantown, West Virginia. Wouldn't surprise me one bit that we wake up one morning and somebody lobbed a nuke into some city or some knucklehead got a hold of nukes because Pakistan, you know, has nuclear bombs. They're in the muck of it. Anything can happen at any time by anybody. So what's my message in all of this? Brethren, understand something. We've got a major war coming at us at some point. The United States of America, I don't know when, but is going to pay for because we claim the God of Isaac, of Abraham, of Jacob, we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've modeled our country. Whether you agree or not about the identity of American Great Britain as being a modern-day Israeli nation connected to the lost ten tribes of Israel doesn't matter. fact of it is we adopted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as our premise of our society, as the platform by which we have built our mores and our whole system from over the last 200 and some years. And guess what? God is holding us accountable. We're killing still babies. We can't even, as I've often said, define marriage. We're confused about what bathrooms to use. Why? Because we've lost our center. We've lost our center. We need to get back to the center. Don't eat lobsters. Simple stuff. Simple stuff. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Simple stuff. Not Sunday. Everybody, I mean, even the most wisest scholars know the Bible of the Old and New Testament Sabbath is Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. It's not Sunday. They know that. These are simple things. Don't eat pigs. Don't be vulgar. Mohammed is not God's prophet. Allah is not God. Yahweh, Elohim, is God. I mean, these are basic things, and yet we're so confused about so many things. God is holding us responsible. That's why we need to repent. We need to accept Christ as our living model, model our lives after him. Because, brethren, all I can say, and all I've been talking about, is that the times are upon us. Get your life right with God.